sometimes sustainability is equated with doesn't work as well and costs more. But I think if sustainability does done right, you get products that are not only uh, better, but less expensive. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Glory Media, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from each other, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Hello, Stuart. How are you? How's your day going? I'm great, thanks. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, as we were just talking uh, off, you know, before we we hit record, you're just talking about, you know, I'm, I'm so excited that we can finally have this chat. Um, we love speaking to Canadian entrepreneurs, Canadian founded companies, um, and also just talking about the bigger picture. And really, obviously, one of the key themes um, and key things that we're talking about these days is um, around sustainability and impact. And so I think that there's a lot that we can um, explore and unpack. And just, I want to learn everything about your journey. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Let's hope you say that at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you are the founder of Echobee. You started it in 20, uh, 2007 by launching the world's first Wi-Fi connected smart thermostat, which is wild because it kind of seems like like an industry kind of market norm now. There's a lot of a lot more category awareness, I suppose, uh, today. Um, if you fast forward to today, um, Ecobee's thermostats have helped customers save over 25 terawatt hours. I don't even know if I'm saying that properly of energy savings. Can you just put that into context for us regular folk, like, and talk about what that actually means? Like, what what is that impact of 25 terawatt hours sure it's like taking <laughs> you know all the homes in chicago and la off the grid for a year so it is a you know it's a massive massive impact and you know we really started the company with a with a simple insight and and an idea which was you know the idea was you know how do we help people conserve energy reduce their environmental footprint and our mission today is really around um you know how do we improve everyday lives while creating a more sustainable future. And, and so, you know, at the time I was, I went out and I spent $26,000 on solar panels. I was on my way to buy a Toyota Prius. Um, I was unemployed at the time. My wife was like, honey, like this is going to, you know, this going green thing, I'm all for it, but it's going to bankrupt us. And so that kind of started a journey about, you know, what are some practical solutions that people can, can use to reduce their environmental footprint. And the insight we had was that heating and cooling is 40 to 70% of your home's energy use. And so, actually better managing your heating and cooling is one of the best things you can do. And the products in the market at the time were, you know, dumb as a doorknob, they were impossible to use. And we said, hey, you know, if we can connect this device to the internet, we can use data like weather and um, energy prices, you know, how much better can we do? And and the answer is a lot, uh, which is really cool because, you know, when you start and you're just a small company, you wonder whether you will have a big impact. And and I believe we have. And so it's that's really, really rewarding. Yeah. And so that's, you know, we talk, I, I I mentioned kind of some of the environmental impact, but there's also clearly a financial impact as well for people that are using it in their homes. How you mentioned the cost savings, I suppose. So how does that work in terms of 
it, it does it learn how you um you know how your how you are operating and kind of living within the home your energy needs uh, adapts to that um how does it i guess help people save yeah great question so you know if you look at our new product i mean it's 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 amazing it's um you know it's got a beautiful design uh, but it has some incredible technologies inside it um including things like radar um, it also connects to wireless room sensors. So you can put these wireless room sensors around your house and they measure temperature um, and occupancy. And so we know what rooms you're in and we can make it comfortable in the rooms that you're actually using. And so one of the benefits is you get better comfort. Um, and then we have these intelligent algorithms we call Eco Plus and you know, we'll automatically turn down your equipment um, when you're not home as an example. And so that's probably the best way that you can save energy is you know, don't heat or cool your home the same way when you're not there. Um, but we also understand electricity rates. So if you're on time of use rates, we can change when you use energy and use a little bit more when energy is cheaper and a little bit less when it's less expensive. Um, you know, we do things like, you know, uh, learn your schedule and we can predict, you know, when you're going to be home and when you're not. And so we can adjust the way your thermostat works, both on how you live, um, but also um, in the way that your home actually performs in different weather conditions and those types of things. And all of that yields saving somewhere between about 180 to $250 per household per year on average. Um, and so it's an investment that, you know, just pays for itself. And I think one of the really cool things, um, there's a great book by a gentleman named Ray Anderson, which is called Confessions of a Radical Industrialist. And he talked really about how he built his company into the largest manufacturer of industrial carpets by focusing on sustainability. And I think sometimes sustainability is equated with doesn't work as well and costs more. But I think if sustainability does done right, you get products that are not only uh, better, but less expensive. And I think, you know, that is one of the things that we tell our customers is that, you know, not only are you going to live more comfortably, um, but you're also going to save a lot more money and energy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so if if we rewind back to those beginning days, two thousand and seven, and also just the the days leading up to that, um, can you just tell me about what kind of was going through your mind, and you know, what what really led to starting the company? Um, did you also have the 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 skill set, the expertise, or did you have to find the right team? How did how did it all come together in the beginning? Sure, it's a great question. And, you know, it's interesting because I had no experience in the heating and cooling world. I had no experience in consumer electronics. I had started other businesses before. This is the third business that I've started. Um, and I did spend eight years as a partner in a venture capital firm. So I've been in and around you know, that tech startup ecosystem for pretty much all of my career. Um, and people say like, you know, how did, how did you get into the business if you didn't have any experience? And I said, you know, pretty much I just woke up one day and decided I wanted to start a thermostat company, which, you know, when you say it, it sounds crazier than, than it felt at the time. Um, but it was really about, um, you know, working with a team that, you know, was committed to learning. And I think, you know, one of our core, um, pieces of our culture is this idea of continuous learning. And so we literally called up heating and cooling contractors and said, hey, my name's Stuart. I've got this great idea for a new product. Can I come talk to you about it? And then if they said yes, then I'd go and I'd see them and I'd talk to them about it, get their feedback, 
And then if that went well, I'd, I'd ask them, do you mind if I ride with your technicians? And so I spent like literally two or three days a week, the first three months of the business, just riding around with service technicians, you know, seeing how their day goes, what they do, learning from them. And all that created a ton of knowledge that then went back into the into the product. Um, and so that's that's really how we started. Mm, I see. And so, you know, the thermostat isn't necessarily or immediately the first thing that comes to mind in terms of products that require innovation and an update. And yet here you are, here the company is. Um, firstly, what does innovation mean to you? How do you define it? How do you embrace it? Um, what's your thinking around it? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, when we started, you know, that's exactly what people said. People started with, you know, why are you doing thermostats? That's crazy. And what are you going to do six months from now? You know, the implication being that thermostats were already as good as they could ever be. And, you know, what else could you do? Um, you know, and today we're 15 years in and we're talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence and voice and, you know, indoor air quality and, you know, sensor fusion, radar, like, um, all these incredible technologies that you maybe you would have never thought um, edge computing that you know would go into a thermostat, um, and I think that's really driven around this idea of continuous learning and and continuing to ask what would be better or what would be great. Um, and so you know we have this one of the things we talk about a lot is you know let's be great, um, and that's really about asking you know what would be awesome. And when you start thinking about what would be awesome that in turn creates the like, okay, how do we get there? And that really drives the innovation. And when you look at, you know, one of the things we brought to market really invented in the market is the concept of these wireless room sensors. And that really came from listening to our customers who said, you know, I love my thermostat and I love being able to control it on my phone, but I have these hot and cold spots in my house. And if you could solve those for me, that would be awesome. I would love you forever. And so that kicked off a program to figure out how do we solve that for people. Um, and that led to the innovation that is room sensors. And, and a lot of it is about listening to our customers, um, understanding what challenges they have, you know, where are the jobs to be done, um, and then taking those challenges and turning them into opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And so since creating the thermostat, uh, the company has since gone on to produce a suite of products for the home, including a smart camera and sensors, as you mentioned. How does this trajectory contribute to your larger vision of what Ecobee can be and, and its its full potential, I suppose? Yeah, maybe I'll take it in, in two parts, one from our, our, our vision and our mission, and then two from how we think about it, you know, as a sustainability from a sustainability angle. And so, you know, our, our mission is to, you know, improve everyday life while creating a more sustainable world. And so, you know, when we think about, you know, some of the companies that, you know, are most inspirational around sustainability, you might think of a company like Patagonia and, um, you know, Patagonia makes pants. There's nothing like inherently sustainable about pants. They're not making solar panels. And so this idea of like how you make products and how you make them with the least possible impact is really important. And that's one of the ways we think about, you know, how we, um, how we pick the product categories that we're in and, and part of our mission and how we create a more sustainable world, make products, you know, in a less harmful way um, or ideally a non-harmful way at all. Um, security is really exciting because if you think about energy, you know, people want to be comfortable. They want to save money. They want to reduce their environmental footprint, but they don't want to spend a lot of time and effort. And so 
understanding context in the home, in other words, what's happening in your home, allows us to make smarter decisions about your energy and to do it automatically. And so we use AI and machine learning to basically automate that experience. And if you think about, you know, just simplistic terms, how you use energy in your home, you use energy in one of three ways. You're either home and awake, you're home and asleep, or you're away. And so if we can understand which one of those three states you're in, we can automate, you know, changing your temperature, turning down appliances. Um, so that understanding of context is really important. And security gives us, you know, a very good understanding of what's happening in your home, allows us to save you more money. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, since since you started out in the market, um, there have been a few competitors that have come out as well. Um, some that are backed by very large companies. Uh, what's your experience been like competing against these now behemoths uh, once they came out? And what did you learn from that experience? And did your, tra your, did your strategy change? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, when 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 Nest came out, I remember it was like a dagger, you know, to the heart kind of thing. And um, you know, the the first thing that we realized um, was that you know we thought we were doing a very good job. We thought that we had set a high bar, and we realized that we hadn't set the bar high enough. Um, and so I joke that you know we thought we were playing in the NHL, but really we were the champions of the North Toronto minor Bantam hockey league because you know, at the time we were the only, you know, thermostat in the market and people were telling us how great we were and all that kind of stuff. And then of course, Ness came out and um, people were like, Oh, that's really good. Right. And so, um, you know, credit the team, we really had to retool and figure out like what great is. And, um, you know, in good to great, for example, they talk about this idea of a worthy competitor and, and Ness was really a worthy competitor for us that really made us up our game and made us better. Um, and so loath as I am to give them credit uh, for anything, um, you know, they, they, they made us, uh, you know, they made us better. I think when we think about how we compete with Google, you know, you can't outcompete your competitors with the same playbook. And so one of the things that we think a lot about is how we win with consumers. And, you know, really leaning into the brand and really creating fans out of our uh, customers so that they can, you know, advocate on our behalf because we can't spend, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars that Google spends on, on advertising. Um, and so we focus on, you know, NPS, customer satisfaction scores. Um, you know, we provide phenomenal customer service. It's a place that we really want to, you know, differentiate ourselves. And then we lean into sustainability in a big way. And I think, you know, we lean in both from the way that we make products, you know, we make them in factories with, you know, good social governance. We don't use conflict minerals. We care about the, the actual pieces that go into our products and where they come from and what's the footprint of those products. That's the first way. The second way is really around investing in technology to help our customers conserve more energy. And that's really where I think we get the most leverage. Um, because we're in millions and millions of homes today. And so, you know, even small changes in um, energy consumption in millions of homes has a huge multiplier effect. And then the last thing we do is, is really around advocacy and how do we get people to come to our cause, to recruit them to this sustainability cause. And so one of the things that we've done that's very cool is we've created this program called Donate Your Data to Science. And that came from an insight, which was, you know, when we started the business, there was very little data on how people use energy in their homes. But today we can look at how millions of people use energy in their homes. 
And so as a customer, you can donate your data. We anonymize it. We put it in these very large data sets and we're sharing it with researchers um, you know, all across the world who are doing incredible things, everything like from figuring out how do we build more energy efficient homes to you know, how does indoor air quality impact the spread of COVID? There was, you know, how do we help seniors live longer in their homes? Um, there was a group in Indiana that used the data to prove that they didn't have to build a natural gas uh, fired power plant. And, and that saved the ratepayers of Indiana over a billion dollars, but it also saved them, you know, all the greenhouse gases. And so, you know, you can really have this multiplier effect. Um, and we believe that all those things that we do, both within our brand, within our products, you know, creates you know, ideally, you know, strong cohesion between us and our customers. Um, and that in turn makes us a much better company. Yeah. Yeah. I also believe that, you know, to your point, I think competition is, I think a good thing in the sense that it's operates like an ecosystem and you need kind of a balance and it forces you to innovate. It forces you to look at problems differently, um, to try different things out. And so, I mean, I, I suppose when Nest came out, was there what was the landscape like in terms of even just the awareness of the category in general, and did that change it, um, and did that help amplify it? As I suppose, yeah, absolutely. So they, you know, they spent a lot of money, you know, creating the category. I mean, Tony Fidel, who's the founder of Nest, first of all, is a you know well-known personality, and so they got a lot of press, um, and so. You know, that awareness, you know, I joke, um, you know, there was a time when, um, you know, things were tough and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, you're competing head to head with Google and I was going home on the subway and every ad in the subway car was an S ad. And then, you know, I got out of the subway and I was walking down St. Clair Avenue and like every bus shelter had a nest ad in it. And I was like, they know where I live and they are just <laughs> messing with my head, right? And of course, you know, two weeks later, I flew to Chicago and they bought every bus shelter in Chicago too. And it had nothing to do with me, but it was just sort of a uh, an indication of their reach. Um, but they did create category awareness and and that category awareness, you know, grew the, grew the category, which was, you know, very helpful for us. And part of our strategy then was to say, okay, if Nest is going to create category awareness, how do we benefit most from that? We believe customers do research. And so we really focused on, you know, how do we make sure that our customers have a great experience, that they write great reviews about our products. And when customers do research, they'll see that we're the top rated product. And so, you know, this year we were, you know, one of Time's inventions of 2022, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Wirecutter, PC Magazine, all picked us as the top smart thermostat. And, and you know, that's, you know, created tremendous opportunity for us. Yeah. And effectively, I guess through their ad campaigns, the you were able to leverage just the kind of momentum in terms of the education or, or educating the consumer on on something that was um, I guess relatively novel um and and new at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were really thinking about how do we draft behind Google, how do we win in the last three feet? Those were things that we mm. talked about, you know, quite a bit. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes you think competition is going to be horrible for you, you know, but sometimes, you know, it just makes you better. It grows the market. It can do a lot for you. And I think sometimes if you're the only person in the market, um, it can be really difficult and it can be lonely and, you know, it's hard to get customer awareness, especially if you're a startup and you don't have a lot of funds, yeah. you know, getting above the noise can be, you know, challenging. And so, 
and you have to um, do all the work yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's versus the, That's right. you know, the community. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're not keen on, you know, sending, you know, crazy Twitter bombs, then, you know, you got to find some other way and, and that can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I also find that what I, I find what's interesting these days is the word sustainability because it's such a, a it's an interesting word that's really grown into this kind of catch-all that encompasses a pretty wide spectrum of definitions um what does sustainability even mean nowadays because you have companies that define it this way you have other ones that define it that way there's not really kind of any as far as I know, regulatory standard or body that says like, this is how we define or how it should be defined. So how do you define it? And how do you keep yourselves accountable to it? Um, that's part, that's part one of my question. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think, you know, more and more, there are um, efforts underway to kind of standardize what sustainability means to create frameworks about how you report on sustainability, you know, how you, how you benchmark and exactly what it means. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then I think, you know, for us, it's really about, you know, those three areas that I talked about. How do we make our products with less impact and make them in a, you know, responsible way? How do we help our customers empower them to save? And then how do we, you know, create more space for others through advocacy? And I think that's those really the framework that we look at it. Mm-hmm. And and so my part two would be, you know, when when we it's it's interesting because we talk to other a lot of brands that are um, very active in their um, sustainability initiatives across different sectors. You know, we've spoken to recently like. Allbirds that works in sustainability through like a materials innovation standpoint, um, a few other brands, but you know, everyone kind of has like a different definition of it and a different way of measuring it. That's one side of it. And then once you kind of come out with your metrics um, and so like alluding to kind of the metric that I mentioned at the beginning of our interview around, um, you know, Ecobee helping to save over 25 terawatt hours that is a metric. But then the other challenge is how do you get people to understand what that means? Like, what is it, what has your experience been like to get consumers to understand impact and understand how it translates to a a micro level, a micro personal level on that, that they can relate to? Yeah, I think, you know, trying to translate that into, you know, we talk about, you know, taking homes off the grid for, for, as an example, or, you know, eliminating, you know, cars off the road or, you know, number of cell phones or whatever it is, which, which puts it in a context, I think that, or, you know, number of trees planted, for example, those are all things that I think people can get a, a handle on things like, you know, 25 terawatt hours of power. Nobody, nobody really uh, knows what that means other than the, you know, the super geeky people. And so I think it's a really great point. I think people are very receptive to the sustainability message. I think especially uh, younger consumers, um, you know, look for sustainability as part of their decision-making framework. And so we really talk about sustainability, um, you know, being an incredible multiplier on our business. Um, And so, you know, sometimes, again, we, we get back to that where sustainability costs and, and where you really get benefit is when you can find an intersection where sustainability, you know, 
makes you a better business, um, which allows you to invest more, which accelerates the flywheel. So, you know, just some, some simple stories, you know, um, a lot of sustainability is about eliminating waste, right? One of our customers is a company called Clayton Homes and they make manufactured homes. So, you know, you would, might think of them as trailer homes. And one of the coolest things about that company is when they finish a home, all of the waste that they make fits in a single oil drum, like a single barrel, right? And, you know, if you walk down the street in Toronto and you see someone building a house and you see all the dumpsters of stuff coming out, you're like, yeah. how do these two things like are the same, right? But you can also imagine that that, you know, one barrel of trash is an incredible amount of savings for them as a company versus all the other people who are throwing out, you know, tons and tons and tons of stuff. And so, you know, that's a sort of visual of like how, you know, by reducing waste, by eliminating packaging, by, you know, we do tapioca trays, we put our product in tapioca trays. Tapioca trays are about a dollar less expensive than plastic trays. They're compostable, um, you know, so they have a great sustainable, they use less water, less dye, like they're much better from an environmental impact point of view and they're a dollar cheaper, right? That's something mm -hmm. that like, you know, we can invest in all day long. Um, so you find those things um, that I think, you know, just make you a better business. Same with our energy saving algorithms. If we can save customers more energy than somebody else, it makes us a better business. And then when we think about, um, you know, for example, the donate your data store uh, example that I gave you, um, you know, that in turn gives us stories that we can write about on our blogs that people go, wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that you could do that. Right. And um, I'd much rather spend money on, you know, donate your data and enabling scientists to do amazing things than to spend money on Google AdWords. And so, you know, because we have these stories, they're shareable stories, people pick them up and post them and repost them and all that kind of stuff. We don't have to spend as much money on advertising as an example. And all those things make us a better business. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, as you mentioned, you're a leader in your category. Um, do you consider it a responsibility to influence your industry peers to move in the same direction? Uh, and and if so, how do you encourage people to to and other companies to embrace a similar mindset in how they approach problems? Yeah, I think, you know, our, our, our primary way of doing that is, is really evangelizing it. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, again, I mentioned the Ray Anderson book, you know, Confessions of a Radical Industrious, you know, one of the great things that he did was write that book, right? And I think, you know, when we started on this journey, um, you know, we always started with, you know, sustainability and the, and the energy savings approach. But we didn't have a good roadmap as to like how do we how do we actually make it happen in the business? Like how do we, you know, how do we make our 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 company more sustainable? And I think, you know, the more that you get leaders talking about what is on the journey and how sustainability makes you actually a better business, and you cut through some of the noise, then people are like, oh yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? And um, and so you know, I think it's really around that evangelizing sharing what we've learned on our journey that then enables other people to, you know, hopefully take advantage of some of the lessons we've learned and, and move up the curve a lot faster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's interesting because it kind of leads into my next question that this idea and this movement towards being more sustainable can, and, and also just kind of what I was talking about before, because it is kind of 
nebulous and kind of a catch-all term it can seem a little daunting to take that on as an initiative as a as an individual consumer or even as a company and so how can we encourage other companies small and big to not be intimidated or paralyzed by how daunting the process is or where they should even know where to start in that whole chain of decisions that need to be made yeah, it's a great point. I mean, it's interesting now that we've been in it for a while. I think, you know, when I speak to people, you know, I think the knee jerk reaction or the immediate reaction of a lot of people is that this feels like it's going to cost money and it's, you know, it's going to be time consuming. Um, and so one of the things that, that that I tell people is, you know, this idea of focus on doing, um, you know, and, and as you get more skill set, you can focus on measuring and benchmarking. But I honestly believe that starting when you start out, focus on doing right. And it's kind of like the idea, you know, when I was younger, you know, I was told like, you know, if you go to church, you'll be a good person. Right. And are you a good person because you go to church or because you're a good person? Right. Focus on being a good person. And then, you know, um, if you go to church, that's great, too. But um, and I think there's a little bit around that in sustainability. Sometimes people get so wrapped up in benchmarking and reporting and et cetera, et cetera that, you know, they don't put enough effort on like actually doing. And the nice thing about doing is once you get some of these wins, the team gets really excited. Um, it makes you a better business. And that makes it so much easy, easier to get the flywheel going. And then the reporting and the benchmarking and all those kinds of things, you know, don't seem as onerous, don't seem as administrative, because they're really ways of, you know, both keeping score, but also figuring out how you're getting better. Um, the second thing I would say is that once you you know, if you don't want to start that way, if you do want to start with the benchmarking, the nice thing about the benchmarking is that it, there are a lot of, there are probably two or three, you know, significant frameworks out there. Um, and those frameworks give you ideas of like where to start, you know, where to look for, for savings, how to reduce your impact. Um, and so those are good as well. Um, so those are two things I would, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Switching um, gears to focus a little bit on your own personal journey, you know, entrepreneurship isn't really a thing you can be taught in school. Uh, obviously, you can go to school for business, but it's really the real world where a lot of entrepreneurs cut their teeth. What was your first experience um, as an entrepreneur and how did you learn to to be one? Yeah, it's a great question. Um I tell people, you know, is one of the interesting things actually is is for me is is you know sometimes people see adversity and 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 they they take it as like a negative, right? And I'm a firm believer that you know certainly through my career where there has been chaos, there has been opportunity. So some people they see chaos and they're like, that's horrible, run from it. You know, this is bad. Um, you know, I've always I guess kind of run towards chaos. Um, I started my entrepreneurial journey. I had no idea that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I had no intention of it. I didn't, I never thought about it. Um, but I happened to be working um, in software development and uh, I had this horrible boss and my boss was so bad that like one day I was just like, you know, threw my hands in the air and said like, that's it. I quit. And then I, I walked out of the building. I was like, that's it. Right. And, um, and I packed everything I had. I remember the day I packed everything I had. It all fit into eight boxes and I moved back home with my dad. And my dad, of course, was like, what are you doing here? Like, you know, he was not <laughs> that happy to see me. Um, and, um, you know, I was going to go and do my MBA. And so I had some time between the time I quit and because and, I quit in February and I was going to go do an MBA in September. 
And I just got bored. And so I wrote a business plan for uh, starting an internet service provider. And I convinced a friend of mine to to join me and to be my partner. And we started one of the first internet service providers in Canada back in 1994. Um, and that's literally how we got started. Um, but it wasn't part of a you know grand plan or whatever. I think you know it does take resiliency and grit, and it certainly takes uh, I think the confidence or the will to figure things out, right? To you know to stick with things. You know, there's a lot of learning that's happened. Um, made a lot of mistakes, um, and so I think those two things, like you know, really sort of grit and resiliency, but also like a commitment just to be you know, a learner and to keep learning and to keep evolving and is, is really, really important. How do you know when to pivot and what, when's the right time to adapt or to say, you know what, this is not the right thing and I need to focus on something else because I think it's kind of interesting when we have these kind of uh, collective discussions around entrepreneurship and we talk about grit grit and tenacity and ambition and sticking to your guns but at some point if things are not really working out or if there isn't a need for it or whatever it might be it just becomes it turns from kind of grit and ambition to just uh i guess blind optimism or stubbornness yeah so where do you think is the turning point between left and right on that on that path so I think um, it's a great question, and I, I think it's it's a hard answer too. Um, I think you want to have a number of of you know metrics or what I would call leading indicators, and so you know things like, for example, customer satisfaction is a good one, right? If you're not hitting the revenue numbers that you want to hit, but your products are great customer satisfaction you know, that's a positive sign, you know, conversely, like if you're, you know, you're building a product or a service and, and your churn rate is really high and, you know, you can get people in, but you can't get them to stay, you know, that's probably a, a sign that, you know, you might want to pivot because you don't have good product market fit. And the nice thing about getting product market fit is once you get it, um, you know, it's like flow, it, it just feels, everything feels easier, right? And so um, you really want to, you know, work hard enough and put enough into it to know that you've, you know, you've given it a really good try that you've, you know, tried all the major things that you think you could do. But if you're, you know, running out of ideas or you're leading metrics, which could be different than revenue, could be things like signups or, you know, um, conversion rates or churn rates, you know, how are all those things coming together? Um, And if those aren't trending in the right way, um, you know, then it's probably a good time to think about a pivot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. When we look at today's landscape, today's business landscape, what do you think is the biggest hurdle f- that entrepreneurs are facing today? And what's the biggest opportunity? Um, it's an interesting landscape where, you know, post COVID, I guess you could say, um, a lot of other things going on in the world. So what, what are your, what's, what's your POV on those two things? I think it's a great time to, you know, to be an entrepreneur and to start a company. I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, probably negative stuff you hear in, you know, media and press and those types of things. But I think if you, you know, you look back uh, or you you step back and and you kind of look from a distance, you know, we're wealthier than we've ever been. 
We're healthier than we've ever been. We live longer than we've ever been. The unemployment rate is lower than it's ever been. Like, you know, we are more prosperous today, certainly, you know, in Western countries um, than we've ever been at any time in our history. And so this is one of the best times to be alive. And I think, you know, when I started my first company, I think there was one venture capitalist. I think there was Ventures West. I think there's one venture capitalist in Canada, right? And today, you know, as a 21-year-old, you can walk into a venture capitalist office and walk out with a check for $100 million. Like, how great is that? Like, that is mind-blowing to me. And what's interesting, even more mind-blowing to me, is that it's not mind-blowing to a lot of other people. In fact, some people are like, yeah, of course I walked in and I walked out with a check for $100 million. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that just, you know, seems, you know, crazy to me. So, um, you know, I'm, I'll start with that I'm, you know, very optimistic. Um, I think, you know, you want to create these fast learning and feedback loops. And so I think, you know, my hypothesis is that one of the reasons Silicon Valley grew the way that it did was because, you know, 30 years ago, being local meant something like, and so they had these really tight learning feedback loops between, you know, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial teams that, you know, that did well and learned from each other. Now we live in a in a global environment where that diffusion of information is just so much faster and so much more geographically diverse. And so uh, when I meet entrepreneurs today, um, they're so much smarter than I ever was. They're, you know, they're better prepared. They understand things better. They have better business plans and proposals. And so, um, you know, I think, uh, again, like I'm, as you can tell, hugely optimistic um, and hugely optimistic for this cohort um, of entrepreneurs. And I'd say the one thing to really focus on is, you know, creating those fast learning loops um, so you can get better uh, faster. Um, I think sustainability is a huge opportunity. Um, and there's so many places where, you know, sustainability is, is going to be important. We play in the energy market. You know, when you look at the price curve for renewables, the price curve for storage, um, you know, we're we're going to electrify everything. And you're going to see, I think you're going to see, um, you know, renewable power become the majority of the power that we produce. And so, you know, we have this future where, you know, rather than power being dirty and expensive and rare or, you know, costly, we could live in a world where power is on the margins free and uh, clean. And so that would be a very different world than the world that we live in and a much better world than the world that we live in. Um, and so I think, you know, as you get to the sort of the electrification of everything, um, you know, the decarbonization of the electrical grid and the connection of everything, those three things I think will change, you know, that energy market over the next 10 years. And that's a multi-trillion dollar market. And so that in itself is a, you know, is a massive, massive uh, impact that, um, you know, I'm super excited about. Okay. So I guess as we kind of um, tail off on the, on the interview here, overall, what do you think, and from your perspective and what you're seeing out there, what do you think makes a great modern brand with impact? It's a great question. I think, you know, again, like from our own journey, when I started, you know, I'm an engineer by training, 
both my sisters are in marketing. So when we started Ecobee, I enlisted, you know, my sisters to help. Right. And I was like, okay, brand is a logo and a name. Right. And, uh, and they were like, you are like, so lost. It's not even funny. Right. And, um, and so I, I think, um, this idea of writing down what you stand for, like that nexus between, um, your brand, your culture and your values, is what creates your company and is what makes your company special. Um, and it's not just a marketing thing. It's really who you are. Um, and Jerry Garcia, who was the lead singer of the Grateful Dead, um, he said, you know, you don't want to be considered merely the best of the rest. You want to be considered the only one who does what you do. And um, and that is a great quote, I think, that gets to, to brand and impact. And so really thinking about not how you're the same, and I think many entrepreneurs say like, oh, I want to be like Apple or I want to be like someone else or my competitor is doing this and I should do more of that. We're really trying to think of it the other way, right? And so, you know, the first slide we have on branding is we're different, right? And why are we different? And it's all about all the things that we do that are different than our competitors versus how we're the same. And I think that's how you really create impact. And then if you can take culture and your values and your brand, and you can make sure that people understand them, then people replicate that. And that's what your customers see. And that's what you become. And and I think that drives large brand impact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what gives you courage? Um, what do you use as fuel to really stand up for your ideas, tackle scary problems, scale big mountains? Um, what gives you that fuel and that fire and that energy to really kind of um, uh, approach those things? I think, you know, as I said, maybe at the beginning, like I think, you know, developing grit and resiliency is an important thing for an entrepreneur. And I remember we'd been rejected for venture capital 174 times. And, you know, I remember like before Nest came out, you know, People were like, nobody cares about thermostats, Stuart, and nobody's ever going to pay more than $50 for a thermostat. So your business is going nowhere, right? And then after Nest came out, people were like, of course, people are going to pay $250 for a thermostat. <laughs> but the market has already been won and lost. So life is short. You lost, you know, go back and do something productive with your life. And I remember, um, you know, coming out of a VC meeting where he told me that. And I just remember like thinking, like, should I quit? Should I quit? Should I quit? Should I quit? And I resolved like then and there, like, I'm not going to quit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to keep going. Um, and that, I think, determination, you know, is part of what, you know, drives you forward. Um, and then the second thing is really about, you know, optimism. And so, you know, like I said, I, I'm hugely optimistic about the future. I think we're going to have lots of clean, inexpensive energy. I think, you know, when you look at renewables are already the cheapest form of energy um, that's available anywhere and they will be plentiful. If you look at things like electric cars, electric cars are already way better than internal combustion cars. So it's not about, you know, government policy and all that kind of stuff. Government policy will help, but just the economics of renewable power and the economics of, you know, electric vehicles and the fact that, you know, they're already so much better um, is going to drive the adoption of these types of technologies, which will create a much better future for us. 
Um, and then I think you have to be excited about what you're doing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we make thermostats, right? And, and here I am, I'm talking about thermostats. And I remember when, um, when we started the business and we'd go out to like a dinner party or something like that, and maybe there were people that you hadn't met before. And my wife would say like, honey, if somebody asks you what you do, can you please lie? Right. And, um, you know, cause I could talk people's ears off about thermostats and she'd be like, oh my God, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> And so, you know, I don't think it's important, you know, what you do to anyone else. What it's important is that it's important to you. Um, and then the third thing that I get really excited, or the fourth thing I get really excited about is is sort of this idea of continuous learning and, you know, how do we make it better? You know, innovation, what would be better? What would be better? What would be better? Um, and as I said, you know, we're, we're talking about machine learning and AI and sensor fusion and radar and voice technologies and wireless technologies and, you know, all these different things that are, you know, just super exciting. And so I love it. Last question, um, or I guess two, what is your mission, which we've kind of talked about throughout this interview, but if you could summarize it, what is your mission and how has it changed from day one at Ecobee to today? Yeah, great question. So our, our, our mission is, is really to improve everyday life while creating a more sustainable world. And, um, you know, and that's really around, you know, how do we help our customers live simpler, better lives in a more sustainable way? How do we create communities that are, you know, more sustainable, um, you know, and, and, and will be great places to live in the future? Uh, the mission's changed a little bit. It's broadened, I think, a fair bit. Um, you know, we started really with this mission about, you know, how do we help people, you know, conserve energy and reduce their environmental footprint? And that was really our our, our mission and to use technology to help people do that. So I think we broadened our, our mission uh, a fair bit. I'm I'm really excited about the nexus between security and energy. Um, now that we're part of Generac, you know, we're adding solar and storage. And I think that energy ecosystem between, you know, devices that produce energy like solar on your rooftop, for example, and then these intelligent devices inside your home that change the way they consume energy based on what's happening in your home, what's happening outside your home, weather, energy prices, um, to create better outcomes for consumers, both in the form of better economic outcomes, um, but also better sustainability outcomes. Great. Um, thank you so much for your time, your insight. It was so wonderful learning more about your journey and the impact that the company is making. Um, I really appreciated our chat. Great. Awesome. Thank you. It was really fun. I enjoyed uh, talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked, who you'd like to see on the show, and anything else you want to share. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission? <laughs>